right. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this very special edition of Experience Our Industry, uh, the podcast uh, with yours truly. And I am very excited today to have... Um, one of my mentors and and um, uh, a mentor to many of you I know who will be listening out there and someone who has um, led our department for for many years and um, Dr. Bill Hendricks. How you doing? How you doing, Bill? Great. Doing well. Thank you, Dr. Greenwood. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're okay with it, since um since we have a, a, a big alumni following, um, I'm, I'm going to go with Bill and Brian. Can we do Bill and Brian for today? Are we okay with that? Perfect. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, you, you know, Bill, um, I, I want to start by, um, by paying tribute to you and, and your leadership. Um, uh, you know, I've been here, I, I've been at Cal Poly for 15 years and, um, uh, when I made the drive almost 3,000 miles um, from, from North Carolina, I really did not know what we were getting into. And um, when we arrived on these shores, uh, uh, you were you were the one who welcomed us, and, and you were you were that beacon, and you've been that beacon um, for us and for our family uh, for. For these 15 years, and it's been pretty special. And uh, I just want to make sure that you know how much you're loved, how much uh, you're cherished, how much your leadership has been appreciated over these years. And um, you know, I know that um, when this this episode air, when this episode airs, it will be your your last week as um, as department head. Um, but I know it won't be your. I know it won't be the end of your legacy in supporting. Um, the experience industry management department and our major. And I just want to thank you from, from me. This is personal for me and for my, my family, but I know it comes from the multitudes of people, of faculty, of staff, of, of students, of alumni, of stakeholders, of, of all of the people that you have meant so much to um, and led us so well over the last um over the last uh, couple of decades, and um, and just want to say thanks. Oh, well, thank you. That's that's very heartfelt and very kind of you, and and that's what uh, what makes it all worthwhile is is being able to give back to to so many others through our our amazing profession that we've chosen. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're going to get into that some, um, Bill. That that servant leadership that you've brought forward. Um, I I want I want other people to to hear that. Um, to hear that testament of of what a servant leader means, and um, and I think you've exemplified it um, uh, pretty well. I know I've heard you say uh, in you know that that um, that you wish you had done better here or there, but I mean I think all of us are are wishing that in one way or another. But the example that you've set as a servant leader, I think, has been pretty extraordinary. So I want to go back. Um, obviously. For those for those listeners who don't know, um, uh, Doctor um, Doctor Bill Hendricks has been um, named uh, the new uh, associate dean for the College of uh, Food Agriculture. Oh gosh, College of Agriculture, Food, and Environmental Sciences (CAFES) um, here at Cal Poly, and so he'll be stepping up into a, a, an associate dean role um, starting September first. Um, we're very excited for him and and. Um, and uh, and obviously he's going to bring those leadership skill you're, or you're going to bring those leadership skills to to that position. Um, but I want to go back a little bit. And I want to walk walk people through um, your experience over these um, over these years. And um, so let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up, Bill? <laughs> well, I'm uh, from the Bay Area, grew up, grew up in the Bay Area and, and actually a fourth generation Californian. So a long legacy in history in California and have been in California for, for most of my life, a few years out of the state, but I've uh, been here most of the time. Awesome. What did your, what did your parents do when you were growing up? Well, my dad was actually an administrator at Cal Berkeley. He was uh, director of housing, food service, and childcare. And my mom was a special education teacher. And so some ways I've kind of looked upon my career as a, a combination of the two of them. Yeah. of taking teaching and, and a university life and combining them into my career. 
Yeah, well, I think you've probably heard me say this um, before. You know, I, I spent um, two weeks as a substitute teacher in a special ed classroom, and um, it was um, it, it was two of the most amazing weeks of my life. I mean, I, I, I um, afterwards I was so spent emotionally um, because the kids, even on just a two week period, they get to love you and, and care for you um, in such a way um, that it was just, it was almost overwhelming. And after two weeks, I needed two weeks off. Um, so I admire your mom. Your mom must've been a, a special person to be able to, I, I, I've ever since then, I've so looked up to special ed teachers, um, special education teachers, but, um, what was it like growing up? Were you, um, was it, did, did you guys live out in the country or did you live, um, in a suburb city? What was it like? It was, it was a suburb. So we lived in, in two different communities, um, Pleasant Hill from the time I was two till about 11. And then we moved to Lafayette and the first, we lived in two different houses in Lafayette. The first one actually was country feel had about an acre and a half. Okay. And so we had our, our horse with us there and it was, uh, you know, very different than living in a, a regular neighborhood. Right. But then we actually lived there a few years and moved back to another location in Lafayette or to another location in Lafayette that was back in a neighborhood, um, you know, cul-de-sac and just like uh, everybody else living in the, the 60s and 70s, I would say. Right. But we were, uh, you know, we were, it, was, it was that idyllic time that everybody talks about, you know, the post-World War II and and the baby boomers, and I was, you know, a baby boomer. I have an older brother who's also a baby boomer. Uh-huh. When uh, you know, you knew everybody on your street, and you played till dark, and you came in when somebody yelled at you to come home. <laughs> and whether it was playing playing baseball in the street or football in the street or playing in the creek uh-huh. without anybody knowing you're even there, yeah, it was uh-huh. it was a good time to good time to grow up. Right on, right on. And so, uh, uh, you mentioned sports. I know, I know you're an athlete. Uh, you, you, what did you What did you play growing up? Well, growing up, it was. I mean, it was kind of like everybody at that time. It was baseball, football, and basketball. And you, yeah. you, know, you started from the time with the uniqueness of the school district sponsoring leagues. And so, there was a flag football league, uh, basketball league, and and then baseball league actually too, from the time we were in fourth grade on, and then. Uh, there was also a summer summer baseball league association that I played in for for many years, and um, that was kind of the primary interest direction I direction I went with my losing the term loosely athletic career. <laughs> I hear you. No, I uh, I understand that you were quite quite the baseball player from what I've heard. Um, now, uh, remind me, wasn't your dad a baseball coach also? Well, he was my coach. Yeah, he was your coach. Yeah, for many I years, and then yeah actually president of the association that, that we played in. So it was, was very involved. Um, actually coached, I think, one year a basketball team I was on to. So, yeah, he was very involved with his kids' upbringing and, and sports. And I was in Cub Scouts, not Boy Scouts. Uh-huh. My brother was in Hawaii Indian Guides. And actually, he took a little different direction. He was a, unusual for California. He was a hockey player. Oh, no so way. You don't, you don't see that very often, but also played baseball. Of course. Of course. Well, well, yeah. And so, um, very soon after I, I got to, to Cal Poly, um, Bill got me involved with the, the Los Osos little league. And that was one of my first, uh, community endeavors was, um, serving on the, the Los Osos little league board with him and, um, and, uh, with his son, Sam as a, as a, a player in the league. And I, I got to umpire and, uh, Bill got to hear my famous strike call. <laughs> I think I scared a few kids with that strike call back in the day. Bill. <laughs> so Los Osos Little League is where I hung up the uh, strike for good. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, so so um, I, I, I know that you matriculated to to Chico. Was there a family connection um, at Chico? How did you um, how did you end up at, at Chico for for your undergrad? Yeah, there's. Um, and I think you know, starting to a little bit regarding career in this area in this mm-hmm. field. Um, goes all the way back to as early as one, two, three years old, where we had a friend. In, this has has to do with Chico a little bit too. Uh-huh. Had a friend who was a, a park ranger in, a, in at Lassen Volcanic National Park in an area called Warner Valley. Yeah, and so we have memories of going and staying at the ranger station, and then we camp in that area, and then led to a, a resort that's also in the park where I have lots of experience called Drake's Bag Guest Ranch. And so everything in our family has always been north. I mean, north, north of the Bay Area. 
Right. Uh, my dad was from Red Bluff area, born in Cottonwood and raised in Red Bluff mm-hmm. and went to Chico State. And all his friends went to Chico State. Right. Actually, I don't know if you know this or not, I actually had a, a scholarship to go to Chico to play the, the jazz band up there. So that was I one of the reasons. I did not know that. that. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So what, you, what, yeah, what, instrument, was, what instrument did you play? Sorry to interrupt. Played, played trumpet. Oh, you did? Okay. Right on. Yes, yeah, so everything always, our family always led north. You know, something like, like San Luis Obispo, as far as we're concerned, this was you know, just like L.A., a long ways down there. Right, right. So, Southern um, California. Right. So I, I'm also, I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, you, you know, you said being drawn to recreation. So at a, um, unlike Cal Poly at a lot of schools, um, recreation is a discovery major. So were, were you one of those unique people, um, who knew right away when you got into Chico that you wanted to be a rec major or, um, or did you, I mean, did no, you know I, there was a rec program or, or what? No, I, I started off wanting to, uh, well, I was interested in music for a while and, mm-hmm. Uh, I was interested in teaching, and so kind of, yeah, no, it was discovery. I knew I had interests in the area you know, with parks and recreation, but hadn't chosen it as a major until uh, later on at Chico. Gotcha. Like, you know, around junior year, like most, is yep. that is yep. that how exactly. it went? Okay. Okay. Awesome. So, so you get out of Chico, you spend your time at Chico. Uh, uh, we won't, we won't get into um, any of those um, or, or too many of those times, although, um, because I wouldn't want you to get into any of those times with me. <laughs> uh, well, actually I'll, I'll do, I'll, I'll do one. How about we do what, what, what I normally do with a lot of podcast guests. What was your one real enduring memory from college? Well, I'll have to <laughs> have to say it was marrying my college sweetheart. I was going to say. That's got to be the only answer. I loved your softball there, Bill. I was like, uh, yeah. I was about to move on from the years. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> I have a feeling he might want to share that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. So Maggie and I actually met in the dorms at Chico State. And uh, during Secret Pals Week. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, I've been married now for 35 years. That's awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. And um, that, that is that is so awesome. So so you graduated from Chico with a degree in recreation. And um, I, I know, I, I mean, I know that you were a park ranger for a little time. I know that you were uh, a ski uh, ski patrol um, for a little time. But but what what came immediately after um, Chico was was it the park ranger or the ski patrol or is that both? Well, it was, so actually, it was actually a ski instructor that ski I did instructor, while I was at right. Chico. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go up and teach on, on weekends up at Mount Lassen. Mm-hmm. And then um, I guess the summer before my senior year, I was a park aide for the Army Corps of Engineers at oh. Black Butte Lake. And they ended up doing an internship with them also. And um, yeah, that's kind of what, what started the career. Then actually due to a, after I graduated and I was still in the internship, but due to a family illness, I moved back home to the Bay Area oh. and ended up working for the East Bay Municipal Utility District as a what was called a recreation area aide. Oh, okay. And was fortunate enough that they had a, a ranger recruitment and ended up getting a you know, permanent job 10 months after graduating, which was pretty much unheard of in those days. Usually had to work a, as a seasonal for you know, six to eight years to get on somewhere. Work so your way up. Fellow, fell into place pretty nicely. Nice. Very cool. And, and so now did that lead you to the idea? Um, I, I'm curious about who was a mentor or who connected you to, to, to start to think about graduate school. Um, um, in, I think those years. personally I just had always planned on going to graduate school. Really. Oh, you had. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my dad, um, remember when he, he actually, you know, his, his undergraduate degree from Chico and then he was, he was employed at Fresno State for a while, then got hired at Berkeley, and we actually went back one summer. I think I was probably maybe five, four years old, five years old, mm-hmm. um, and he was working on his MBA. So I, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember staying in this apartment, and okay. he'd go take his classes, and we'd spend our whole day in the swimming pool, and mm-hmm. um, so I had that influence. And then my, you know, my mom is a credentialed teacher, was always taking continuing education types of courses, and of course. things she had to do, so that was always kind of in the back of my mind. I got you. So it was that, you know, we, we've had over the years, um, uh, not as many go to graduate school 
as maybe we would think, but because Cal Poly is such a a high level school, um, but but I think I think it does take something like that. It has to it, it takes someone in your family with a graduate degree or someone pushing you in that direction. I think to 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 really go that route. So it was that family history of higher education and and being in, involved there. So you went to. Um, you went to Utah, right? University of Utah. What? What a is that? Where you got your master's? Remind me. No, actually, but so my master's. So I was working full time in the Bay uh-huh. Area. Uh-huh. I was kind of looking for something that I could, you know, could maintain my forty hours a week and, um, you know, still go to graduate school. I ended up going to a private university called John F. Kennedy University. Oh, you that's know. right. I knew that. Had a uh, you know, so they had night classes and weekend classes, and there was mm-hmm. a you know, master's of business and public administration. Okay. And then really what kind of spurred the direction to, to Utah for the doctorate was there was somebody on sabbatical at San Francisco State. And by this time, I was actually working in, in Marin County, working uh, on Mount Tamalpais. And somebody's on sabbatical. It was a downhill skiing class. And so I applied and ended up teaching this downhill skiing class at San Francisco State. So that was the first oh, wow. college-level class I taught. Okay. And then, you know, while still working as a park ranger, I taught two classes at Santa Rosa Junior College. Mm-hmm. One was an outdoor recreation class. Another was called Park Communication Skills. Mm-hmm. And really, that's what led me to deciding I wanted to change, you know, the trajectory of my career. Caught and the bug. Then, uh, yeah, then we ended up um, moving to Utah. I'd actually been accepted to Colorado State and Utah. We wanted to stay in the West. Uh-huh. But Utah offered a full assistantship, and Maggie's credential actually was reciprocal in Utah, but not Colorado. So that's how we ended up packing our bags and heading to Salt Lake City. Heading to heading to the Salt Flats, right on. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that's a that's a uh, um, that's a story that I think uh, I think we hear a lot with um, with higher education is you, is you teach that first class and you kind of catch the bug and um, and and want and want more not knowing what that more might really be, right? <laughs> it's a little bit different reality than, uh, than I think uh, we, we sometimes think when we first just teach a class. So tell us about, tell us about that time um, at Utah. Um, any, anything really meaningful about that time? Um, what, uh, obviously you had the, the park ranger background um, to, to spur you towards the outdoor rec and the resource recreation. But usually we're working in, in doctoral studies, you're working with someone that, that kind of leads you into a direction, one direction or another. So do you mind talking about that period of time for a little bit? Sure. Well, they had the good fortune at that time, the Western Laboratory for Leisure Research was still in existence. Oh, right. And the, the director of the, the lab was Gary Ellis. And so you were, as part of the assistantship, you were committed to essentially teaching a class, uh, working in the lab. And so there were a variety of, of different projects. And, mm-hmm. you know, at that time it was, let's see, I started at Utah in 1989 is when I, when I started my, my doctoral program. I mean, we didn't even have an email. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, think no. about a, you know, a park ranger who had barely even used a computer really at right. that point. So it was a steep learning curve. Um, but the lab, there was a cohort of individuals who, um, for the most part, had already been started had already started their careers and decided to come back. And so it was uh, a very intellectual, stimulating community. Uh, mm-hmm. We were involved in a lot of different research projects. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the benefits of Utah was they gave you the, the ability to teach from the get-go. Mm-hmm. You know, I was teaching the very first quarter there. Awesome. So I, I think of anybody that shaped my, my career at, at Cal Poly, it was probably Gary Ellis. I mean, he's the person I would really consider a mentor from, from the University of Utah. I said Cal Poly, excuse me, from the University of Utah. Right. Right. Well, awesome. So, um, so 1989 to what, 92, it was, uh, took, took you three to four years. Is that right? Well, yeah, actually I left ABD, which I always said, don't oh, yeah. do. All I, right. I, we, we have that in common. <laughs> yeah. So I left ABD, went to uh, set a position at the University of Oregon. Right. Right. And it was a visiting position and I ended up finishing the degree a little bit over a year later. Okay. And then, um, was it contingent upon you finishing? Did you, did you have that as a, no, it wasn't the the unusual thing about Oregon and what kind of had some inkling of what was going on, but Mm -hmm. the program was eliminated one year after I left. So we were there two years (laughs) and it was only in existence for one more year. Mm. Um, so we were, uh, 
actually, I talk, you know, as you know, I talk a lot to students about the, the benefits of networking and getting to know people. Mm-hmm. It's actually at an NRPA conference and at a Society of Park and Recreation Educators, which was a branch of NRPA at the time. Right. One of their functions, and Lynn Jamison, who was a faculty member at Cal Poly for many years, walked by and said, you need to talk to Cal Poly. Okay. So, so uh, about what? <laughs> well, I think about a position. It's about a position. I, I sent sent a resume to Carolyn Shake. Uh-huh. They didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks, and then she called me. And said, "You know, we're you're exactly what we're looking for." Oh. And set it up uh, at Cal Poly that that next fall. That's awesome. So, so they did they have a position announced, or was it just like word of mouth? That's why I kind of like you need to talk to Cal Poly. Yeah, like, talk to Cal Poly about what they they've been in, um, advertising lecture positions here and there. Okay, so that, it was formerly a lecture position. Oh, okay. And so and that was very typical back in that day at Cal Poly. Oh, they'd okay. hire somebody in as a lecturer to test the waters and then re-advertise. Ah. And so that's exactly what happened with me. Okay. So that, that very first year, I was a lecturer. They wanted to see they, what you were made of. Yep. Then they re-advertised and applied for the, the tenure track position. And so the next year started as a tenure track faculty member. Okay. Well, in addition to ABD, we have that in common. Your first, yeah. so your first year was lecturer, just like me. That's right. Uh, all right. Wow. Okay. So, um, so that I, I'm really curious about that first year at Cal Poly. What was that like? So, um, obviously, you're California natives, but but like you said, you everything had kind of gone north. Um, did you uh, did you jump into the waters right away and start surfing? Like, what what was uh, <laughs> what was that first what was that first year like? Well, you know, I mean, it was obviously grueling from a, you know, anybody starting in a new university. Yeah. But I think the, as far as the first year, it was immediately opened my eyes to the Cal Poly student. And as you know, mm-hmm. um, they're incredibly bright, motivated, energetic. They um, are serious for the most part about their studies. Mm-hmm. And they just have this quality about them that you don't see from top to bottom at the universities. I think that's, as I've said many times, that's the big difference. Right. You know, teaching at, at Utah and then teaching at University of Oregon, um, both of those schools, at least at that time, had a bottom end. And Cal Poly has never had that bottom end. So mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And I still remember um, students in that very first class. I mean, they were so excited and uh, <laughs> you know, so involved with, with everything. The you know, very first it was Rec 101. Yep. And uh, yeah, it made a, made a huge impact on me. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, so moving forward, I, obviously we're not going to go year by year, um, but, I, but I really would love, would love to talk to you and, and, um, and, and let all the listeners hear ab- about the nineties, you know, what it was like there in the nineties. So it was you and um, you and Carolyn and Lynn, um, who else was, um, who else was in the department at that time? I know Lynn left a little while later, right? No, Lynn had already left. Oh, she'd already left. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I started in fall of 94. Lynn had already left. Okay. I um, went, went to Indiana. Indiana, yeah. Um, there was another faculty member, Mike Swiderski, who had also left mm-hmm. and did not come back to Cal Poly. I think they both took a, a two-year leave of absence uh, and did not return. Oh, okay. And then there was a, a faculty member, Bob Myers, who had, re, who had actually retired and then passed away not too oh. long after that. And as you know, there's pocket of paradise on campus yep. in, in his memory. He was a therapeutic recreation faculty member. Yeah. For those so who are, I, for so those who are I, listening, let's tell, let's tell them where that is for the, for the current students. So the, yeah, tell, tell kinda, them where the pocket of paradise is. Well, it's kind of the corner of the old spider building, building 52. Mm-hmm. As you start heading up to the student union, there's a, a corner yep. right there. You make that turn and start going up the hill. There's a, a triangular art structure, Yep. And then plants that have been planted. It's kind of a place for contemplation. Mm-hmm. Um, solitude was really the original original purpose of it. There were, I think, three or four different departments on campus that were involved. Yep. Landscape architecture, construction management. Mm-hmm. We were recreation administration at the time. Mm-hmm. So they were all involved in, in actually developing that, that, that area in, in memory of Bob. Right. Sorry to interrupt you there. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> So, so it was you and Carolyn. Oh, yeah. so, and so then- fall '94. So it was there was a there was one full time lecturer who was only there that quarter, hmm. and then it was me, Carolyn Shank, and Cynthia Moyer and John Bellaro. 
Okay. Okay. They were, I wasn't sure if they were here when you got, when you got here. Okay. They were, they were both part-time. So really it was essentially two full-time faculty (laughs) and a a smattering of of part-time for about 155 students. I think we had, and then it quickly started going up. I think it was about 175 the next year. So the, in 1992, an entire college at Cal Poly was eliminated, mm-hmm. College of Professional Studies, and Recreation Administration was in the same department with physical education from 1976 until 92. Right, which you, which and, you see a lot with, re, with recreation programs. Right. Yeah, and so, um, and so what ended up happening? How, who, who, took us, who took us over, so to speak? Yeah, so, so physical education became kinesiology and moved to the College of Science of Math. Right. Recreation administration, from my understanding, is they had two choices. One was to go to the College of Business, become a, an area in commercial recreation tourism, and mm-hmm. lose the degree. The mm-hmm. second option was to become a program in the Natural Resource Management Department and maintain the Recreation Administration degree, and that's what they chose. And that's what they chose. And and you credit Carolyn with her leadership um, there and, and – um, keeping the program going and, uh, and you, you stepped into a pretty major role there, even as just a lecturer, um, in, uh, in working towards, uh, over those years to, to keep the program relevant. Um, what was it like working with, with Carolyn in the nineties? I, I bet it was quite, quite a hoot from what I understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah Carol, Carolyn likes to have a lot of fun, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a tire, tireless worker. Yep. She, um, demands or demanded a lot from her students, but got a lot from her students. And mm-hmm. as you know, they absolutely loved and respected her. She was originally the creator of the program back in 1976. Right. And so her, her legacy and everything she's done, none of us would be here today if it wasn't, wasn't for Carolyn. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've got to get, we've got to get her on. Uh, I know you, 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 I know you've said that you're not sure whether she would do it or not, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pass to her and, and get her on. <laughs> maybe since I'm playing golf now, maybe I can, uh, maybe I can invite her for a round of golf and, ah, there uh, you go. and then, uh, then she would do it for us. But, um, so, uh, y- you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about the legacy during those years in the nineties and moving into the two thousands. You know, I, um, I, I know that a, a few things took place. I know that, um, one of the ways you gained some, some status on campus was through the wildflower triathlon. Is that right? And, um, in, in, um, working to, uh, create opportunities for students, those learn by doing opportunities. Was that, was that one that stood, that stood out or? Yeah, that, that was earlier though. That was, I think more late eighties, oh. early nineties. And so, oh. oh, okay. um, I think I want to say 95, maybe 96 was probably the last wildflower triathlon that we had major involvement with. Oh, okay. So it was really a little before my time. Okay. Gotcha. So, so when you think back to those years, what, what was, what really sustained you? You know, what was it? Was it was it Carolyn's um, uh, <laughs> enthusiasm and leadership? Um, was it was it the students um, going out on campus and making a name? What what made recreation? What made Recce stand out during <laughs> the nineties and leading into the two thousands? Well, I think from a, a faculty standpoint, it was you know really Carolyn, myself, John Bellaro, and Cynthia Moyer, and so there was this very um, unified effort to make sure the program was was vibrant and valid on campus and continually trying to push to improve the program and get it back to where it had been actually mm-hmm. because at one time it had been in the late 80s i think 220 225 students with five full-time faculty mm-hmm. and so we're always trying to get it back to that that level again right. and then there were some you know in terms of the students i mean as as you still know incredibly passionate students. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they appreciated and had, I think, even more closeness with the faculty back in those days, it seemed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a different era, too. Right, right. And course. there was, um, I don't know, a sense of, you know, like you said, recce, a sense of a community that was extremely strong and, and that they were mm-hmm. proud of, right. even though a lot of other people didn't understand it, and right. particularly on, on campus, a polytechnic um, university. The, you know, the students maintain their their enthusiasm even during those low times where when we first when i first started mm-hmm. and i think they saw the the commitment that the faculty had to them and thrived on it mm-hmm. and we and we still have that today yeah. I, I don't think that's changed 
Yeah, for sure. So coming into the 2000s, you know, I think it was around 2003 or so, right? You um, you had a couple positions open up. So we had uh, uh, Dr. Goldenberg come on and Dr. Jacobs. Um, uh, what, what was the story around um, having those two positions um, open up, right? A very, very um, short period of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we did end up starting to grow a little bit. And part of it was converting Cynthia Moyers went to a, a full-time lecture position. Uh-huh. And then there were, there were a couple of faculty that had, had come and gone in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh-huh. So we ended up with two positions at one time. And one of them might have been a college-based fee position, ah, right. if I recall correctly. Uh-huh. And so we, we advertised, and it was kind of a, a – Sometimes you do more of a generalist approach for what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And though all Jeff Jacob, although Jeff Jacobs and Marty Goldberg were very similar in terms of their talents, they were the you know the top two candidates, and we were fortunate right. enough to land both of them. Right. So they were they really added to the number of faculty we had, and it got us up to essentially five full time right. at that point with, with Cynthia as a lecturer. And then we kept building some minimum for there from there. Really, the college based fee made a huge difference because ultimately we had two full-time positions attributed to that funding. Right. Cause I was going to say three years later, uh, you brought in, uh, you brought in another tandem. Um, and I, if, if I remember correctly, my position was a college based fee initially, right? Well, that, portion or, of or, it. Or, was, was, or something like that. It was, it was portion of that, but it was also, um, I think yours was a portion of Carolyn's FERP. Mm. And so she had started the early retirement program. So there was a little bit of money there. And okay. you know, as I've told you, the, the bathroom conversation with the dean <laughs> yeah, after yeah. the yeah, I just, started. <laughs> right. I just need 13,000 more. Oh, well, okay. We can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, yeah, let's, um, let's back up a little bit because I don't want to miss the, the leadership aspects. Um, so uh, remind me what year um, that Carolyn stepped down and you took over as program. Um, w- was it called program chair at that point before that we moved program into coordinator. program coordinator? And, and so, right? Yeah. So even though we were in the natural resource management department, really because of accreditation, We've always had to have a unit head, and the title that Cal Poly used was program coordinator. Right. So Carolyn was that it was in that position, and then I started as program coordinator in two thousand. Two thousand. When I first started. Okay. And so I have that. been saying the last two decades, and I I I wasn't a hundred percent on what what uh what year it was, but I have it has been the last two decades. So um. I think I've been saying better part of the last two decades. Um, <laughs> so now I can, I can officially say for the last 20 years. So, so tell us about that process of becoming a department. You know, I remember obviously I, I was here um, during some of it, um, but um, I, I think that was a pretty major watershed moment for, um, for the program and, and now the department. And can you talk about that process and, um, and what you think ultimately um, led to us, uh, us getting department status and going from there? Well, I think there were a couple factors. One is that demand was, was good. So we were you know, starting to grow. We were jumped pretty quickly from around 200 students to about 280 students right. within just a couple of years um, in the, in the two thousands, early two thousands. And then because of accreditation, we always had some level of autonomy from the rest of the natural resource management department. It was also clear, one of the things that, that we've done at Cal Poly and Carolyn Shank, I have to give her credit. She, you know, she was the person that developed and offered the very first event planning class and it absolutely exploded from the start. Mm-hmm. So we were really one of the first programs that I'm aware of in the country to, to really jump on that. I call the event planning bandwagon. Yeah. What, what year and was that? What year was that, Bill? I don't know. You know. Yeah. I don't know. Not late 90s, uh, maybe mid, mid 90s. No, I'd, I'd say it's later now. Mm. Excuse me. Yeah, probably late 90s. Mm. Yeah, probably late 90s. Okay. Um, and then, you know, there was so much autonomy that had been created within our department because, you know, the accreditation wants you to have budgetary control and X number of faculty and a unit head and, and curriculum and meeting their accreditation standards. And plus, the, even though it was my area of expertise, the you know, natural resource recreation, outdoor recreation management area, we, you know, we had maybe at a high, I would say, 12 to 14% of our mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. But the majority of our students didn't have a strong connection to natural resource management. Right. 
And I think the, the dean at the time recognized some of our potential, and the dean was Dave Weiner, mm-hmm. and then also recognized you know, some of the lack of overlap with what we were doing with the Natural Resource Management Department, and mm-hmm. those supported us in, in moving forward for a proposal as a, a separate department, which occurred in 2009. All right. <laughs> Right. And, um, you know, I, I, I look back on, look back on the time and, um, and I think about your leadership and I think this is a good time to, to put that in, um, or put that element in, you know, a lot of, a lot of schools like Cal Poly that are very teaching centric, um, there's, um, there's not as much of an, uh, of, of an emphasis placed on research and getting your scholarship out there and, and making a name for yourself along those lines. And, um, and, um, would you say that, 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 um, would you say that, that, that element of, um, being a full teacher scholar and, and, um, and also doing research in addition to being, um, a great teachers, um, helped to give us some legitimacy on campus and around the country? Would you say that that was a part of it? Yeah, without a doubt. And so you know, the, the old model at Cal Poly was, you know, you taught and you did some service and maybe you did a little bit of something that was scholarship based. And that began to change you know, throughout the, I'd say, the late 90s and into the 2000s. And so, yeah, having that visibility, not only on campus, but around the country and faculty that took the teacher scholar model, teacher scholar model seriously, I think mm-hmm. has made a huge difference for us. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I, for for those listening out there, I want to make sure that everyone knows what a, accreditation means, right? So you are accredited by a body or an agency that looks at your programs and um and says whether or not you are meeting the standards. And so I think most people know what accreditation means, but um, but but I think that um, uh, what what Bill's saying is that 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 was a major boost for us, um in getting department status because the, the people who were reviewing the program were saying, Hey, they need to be elevated. Hey, they need to be elevated. And, um, and so that definitely helped. Um, so now moving into the years, Bill, that, 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 um, that lead up to our, um, our transition to experience industry management. Um, you know, I lived it, I was right there alongside of you. And so I, I, I know what transpired, but I, I don't know necessarily that all of our listeners fully know that story. Um, they should, because they should have read our article in Skole, Um, but it's a little hard to get to that one. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, um, about that period, you know, from 2009 to 2016. Um, but really more specifically, 2012 to 2016, you know, change, and we're on the precipice of potential change with the looming recession with with the pandemic. Um, But the last recession, obviously, sparked interest in figuring out how things might be reorganized or how things might be um, created to be more efficient or created to be more um, appealing to this, that, or the other. So from 2012 to 2016, can you talk about that process and, um, and how, you, um, how you navigated that to, to, get us, um, to get us to where we are today in a really thriving position? Well, I think... In part, it's is you know Pine and Gilmore's Experience Economy book that they first wrote in 1999 started to gain um, much more attention and and interest within our within our field, and of course you had had folks at primarily at BYU and and Texas A&M starting to investigate the theory of structured experiences, and mm-hmm. that had an impact on us. We um, you know, we've kind of bucked the trend often. So you, you think about when the department started, 2009, that's when there was an economic downturn. Yeah. So even that was a little bit miraculous. Yeah. Um, and really, a, I think that a key watershed moment was probably 2015. We started talking about it as a faculty and mm-hmm. where we wanted to head and what we, what we saw as the future of not only our program at Cal Poly, but, but our discipline in general. And we had a student examine had a student examine over 500 alumni connections with faculty on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And of those 500 plus alumni, 
12 percent of them were in traditional what we consider traditional parks and recreation careers so it was hey but this is this is pretty um pretty pretty illuminating that we have 88 percent of our alumni doing something else and so really looking at what they were doing a lot of it was related to experiential marketing event planning Um, a lot of it was with tech companies you know cal poly's brand recognition in Silicon Valley because of engineering and computer science is extremely strong. And I think that's helped our program Mm -hmm. in that area. So we as a faculty began investigating it and looking at what we thought could be the the future of our program. And that's really what started that trajectory towards experience industry management. Right. And we obviously had some influences that were, that were pushing us towards hospitality. We had some, um, some hospitality, um, influences there and and that also kind of had sparked a strategic planning right um to figure out what direction um uh, we would go and um uh, we won't get into all of all of that but um you know i i I don't know about you bill and your perspective i mean i think i do but um (laughs) i just uh i I can't even fathom um how amazing it's been i mean it's really hard for me to, to to really um put into perspective um the difference and, um, and, and, you know, <laughs> higher ed for, for years, right. Uh, you, you, we've heard that, that term, the celestial pace of academics. Right. And, um, and, you, you know, I, I think you probably are one like, like me that, that, um, really lamented that and really thought, you know, that's not good. When we live in a fast paced world, when we live in a technology driven world where things are constantly changing, that might have been okay 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago when theory, you know, it took mountains to move theory, you know, along. Um, we're an applied discipline. We're, we, are, we are an applied um, uh, area of study. And so to think that we're going to be 20 years behind the trends just doesn't, that doesn't jive. And, and I, I think that you've recognized that. And one of the things that I think is, um, is, is a legacy is your connection with all the different associations. You know, when you think about the experience industry and all the different ones we have under the umbrella, and that was what we saw, right? Was that umbrella term that could encompass everything. And we've seen, we've seen that bring um, a number of areas together. I feel like, I mean, I just think about um, the, uh, I just think about the park rangers at the table with the advisory council who eventually were like, Oh yeah, that's exactly what we do. Right. And everyone that I've talked about, I'll talk to on this podcast, whether they graduated in the 1980s or in the two 2018, it's resonated with them. Right. But what I think is one of your enduring legacies is your ability to be able to connect with all of these different associations, whether it's hospitality or tourism. You're not a tourism guy, but you've been on boards of, of, of travel and tourism. You've been on boards with hospitality education. You've been on the outdoor, uh, the outdoor um California Outdoor Recreation Roundtable. You've been, I mean, I remember a shoot, Bill, was it 2008? You were, uh, you were given a Lifetime Achievement Award for the, uh, for the uh, California Park and Recreation Society District 8 because of your service there. And um, just that, you know, going to conferences with you and, and, um, and walking around and, and everyone knowing you, that connection to those associations feels to me like a pretty major boom for this department. Would you, would you agree with that assessment? And that, 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 is that, is that something that you think we really need to focus on moving forward? Yeah, I do. I think it's, um, I got a squeaky old wooden chair I'm sitting on here. No worries. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, it, I think because we're trying to have them, as you said, the umbrella that we have to maintain close connections with many different fields. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to be even broader as we continue down this path. Yep. So, there, yeah, there's connections with hospitality, there's connections with travel and tourism, with sport, with recreation, with park, with events, with experiential marketing. You know, those are all within our reach, our umbrella, and, and it's um, a, a balancing act to maintain all those relationships, but I think it's something that's really critical because we have had people in each of those areas that at one time or another said, you know, what you're doing is genius. Mm-hmm. And so we need to remember that, that we have to keep those, those stakeholders engaged and 
um, as close partners and know that they're, they're invested in what we're doing too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, um, I, I think about like a, a discipline, like, uh, I, I don't know, one, one of the older academic disciplines and maybe they have like one professional association, um, that they have to stay in touch with. And, and, you know, we have like, we have like 25 different ones, you know, that, that you can make a case for those are ones that we really need to make sure we, we, we stay connected with. Um, and, and, and so Bill, I, I want to now obviously get up to the, um, get up to the here and now we're here. Here and um, your um, when, when this when this episode airs, it will be your your last week as department head. I I um, I don't want to get too sentimental, um, but um, or emotional here. But uh, when you look back, when you look back on your career and you look back on the impact that you've made, and I've um, I, I, we've touched on on some of the things, but um, any. Any thoughts? I know you don't like to talk about yourself, but um, I'll talk a little. I've I've already talked some about you, but I'll talk a little bit more. You know, I um, every every award I've ever been get, I've ever received, um, any award that anybody in this department, faculty or staff, has received from the university or from um, um, the college, um, has been because you've put it forward. And, um, and you've been, um, you know, I think that's another example of your servant leadership of trying to recognize the work of others. And, um, I just want, one of the reasons why I harped on you so much with this podcast is because I wanted to, to try to give a, a little bit back so that, um, even people who know how, what a great leader you are to, to let them hear, um, uh, that, that you've done that because not, not many people realize that you were behind all the awards that we've been given because somebody has to nominate, somebody has to go through that process. And so, um, you know, you've meant so much to so many of us over the years. And, um, I just want to say thank you. I want to give you a chance to reflect as your, um, um, as you look back on your career and you look back over your leadership of the last 20 years with this department, um, I know you're proud. You have to be proud. We've, we've, we've gotten to a, we've gotten to a pretty amazing spot. Thanks to Thanks um, in large part to you. And I wonder, uh, you know, I just want to give you an opportunity to kind of, uh, speak and, and speak on that and, and speak on, on what you see moving forward for the department. Um, after looking back for a minute, if you don't mind. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I think one thing that's critical that some people don't realize is when we've had almost, almost every single time we've had a faculty position that's open, we've hired our first or second candidate. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is really tough to do at a place like Cal Poly where the cost of living is so high. Yeah. So what we've been able to do is bring in talented, talented faculty, who are committed to the teacher scholar model and committed to Cal Poly students. And, you know, similar to the early years, the, the students know that they know how passionate and how caring every single faculty member we have is. You know, we have a lot of different personalities and strengths and weaknesses, good days and bad days. But, you know, I think nearly every student knows we are always there for them. And that, that has been the culture and the history of, of this particular program. Um, you and I have both gotten emails from, from students or calls from alumni that say, you know, I know I have other, I don't want to talk badly about other programs at Cal Poly, but they'll say, I, I have students or friends in other programs at Cal Poly, they, they have not had the same experience. Right. So it, it is something special that we've all created. Yeah. The, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it, it is bittersweet. Of course, I had not planned on this, actually. Um, I was planned on ending my career with, with experience industry management, but um, this opportunity came about and it's, it's actually the best possible scenario where yeah. you know, I continue while a, a new department head is, is hired and that transition can, can take place. The, you know, of course I'll, I'll miss the direct interaction with students. So won't have that nearly as much, which is right. Again, I, you know, ended up teaching a little bit more here sometimes in the last few years, just because of that particular desire we wanted to still maintain that connection with our with our students right so i think you know i think we all have a lot to be proud of the uh 
you know, the program's in a great place. Yeah, I looked last week because Diane Korth, our academic advisor, who, who another, you know, talk about faculty, you know, our, our students and staff are absolutely incredible. Yeah. You know, talk about Diane and Kathy. I mean, what more can we ask for to have that type of support in our program? Yeah. But Diane said, sent me a message because do we really have 520 students? <laughs> she was looking on dashboard. Oh. And so I looked, and it's actually for the major and the minor. And you have to realize this is inflated because it's summer. Because it already has the fall students registered. Oh, right. We're at 522 students right now. Wow. So realistically, that means about, about 485 with 90 of them being in the minor. Right. But again, that is a huge, huge number. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I said we're bucking the trend. You know, many programs are in decline or, or significant decline. Yep. And yet we're in a, in a growth mode. And I yep. think it's you know, directly related to the, you know, the commitment of the faculty, the, the type of student we get, the supportive staff and, and the environment that everybody's created. Well, um, I, I appreciate that servant leadership <laughs> approach and in, um, in putting it, uh, <coughs> excuse me. And, um, I, I hope I didn't get that cough on the air. I, I tried to muffle it, but um, in um, in putting it uh, on, on the people that you work with, and um, and we, you're right, we do have an, a pretty amazing um, a team. And um, but for every team, there's a leader of that team, and you've been, um, uh, like I said, Bill, you've been an amazing leader, and um, I, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've done um, for me and for my career. And um, I know that there are many, many, many people out there. Um, almost everyone that I've talked to on this podcast has brought up one thing or another that you've done for them. And um, and so um, we know uh, we we know you're not going anywhere. You'll just be right down the hall. Um, and and that is, uh, I I think that's a tri- that's a, a tribute to your leadership too. You know, I mean, I um, we all expected you to. to um, you know, to eventually retire as department head, but um, you're right. This is the best case scenario. The new department head will have you right down the hall. We'll have you right down the hall to, to, um, to lean on and ask advice um, on for tough decisions and whatnot. So um, looking forward to continuing that relationship, but just want to say um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for everything over the years. Um, thank you for your leadership. And I know that comes from a multitude of people out there who are, who are listening and who, uh, who care a great deal about you and respect you a great deal. So uh, thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Brian. I, you know, it's really appreciate it and grateful for, for the career I've had at Cal Poly and the, the friendships and the colleagues. So very, very, very grateful. Well, absolutely, and we are we are very grateful as well. Thanks, um, thanks so much. Great. Take, take, take care. Thank you.